Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. It's amazing how much time we have to set aside in our lives for upkeep. Have you ever thought of that recently? And the consequences when we don't. Oil change every 5,000 kilometers. Change the furnace filter twice a year. Clean the oven. Shampoo the carpet. Worm the cat. Aerate the lawn. Prune the trees. Weed the garden. Now, if you haven't done any of that stuff very recently, you're welcome or I'm sorry. But it's not just the domestic stuff either. It's the stuff we have to look after ourselves personally. Go to bed on time. By all means, go get a physical at least once a year. Go get your teeth cleaned at the dentist. None of these things are very fun, are they? But we know that if we don't spend time for upkeep and maintenance, well, we usually are going to spend a lot more time and money when things break. Which brings us to the subject of Lent. Lent can be a confusing time. Lent is uh, set on the church calendar between usually February and Easter, and it's a time where we look at Christ soberly and we reflect on Christ and prepare ourselves once again for the incredible act of Christ on the cross, but also the celebration of Easter. It's a sober time. It's a time that we are to take seriously. But maybe more than anything, practically speaking, it's a great time to do maintenance, like the garden or the car or the marriage that uh, needs its upkeep or anything around the house or personally, there can be significant breakdown in our lives, spiritually speaking, when we let things go. When my truck needs an oil change, I at least once a year take it to a place where they can go over the whole thing with a fine tooth comb so that I know that the exhaust is okay, the brakes are okay, the wheel's not going to fall off, so that I know I'm driving a safe vehicle. Well, maybe that's a great way to look at Lent. Although it's a time when we can refocus our lives on Christ, it's also a time when we can look under the hit, the hood, if you will, and take a look and see where we're at and see where maybe our disciplines have slid and where our faith is at. So that's, I think, a great maybe challenge for Lent. And as we look at this series, now we're on a series now together with a couple of other churches, And we're looking at the parables of Jesus that he taught um, when he went up to Jesus or Jerusalem for the last time. Now you have to think, why are these parables the ones that he taught? Why were these so important for him? And as we look at these things, they help us. They help us almost put a light on the things in our lives where we struggle or the things that we need to catch up on when it comes to our disciplines. Now today, we are looking at a not-so-very-well-known parable called the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And it is here that we can be challenged to look at something in our own lives, be reminded of its importance, be encouraged as to how it works, but also be reminded of the joy that it brings God when we kind of dial in in this area in our lives and the huge difference it makes in our lives. And of course, what we're looking at today is the subject of prayer. 
So in this parable, we have two very different people that bring prayers to God. And it might be surprising, at least it was in the first century when Jesus would have taught this parable, to see which person points us to the arena of prayer in such a way that God hears him. I think we all want to be heard when it comes to our prayers. We all can learn and grow in this area of our lives. And we all need to be encouraged regularly of the joy that it brings God when we come to him in prayer. So we're going to look at a passage in Luke 18, 15, no, sorry, Luke 15, 9 to 14. And I'm going to read that this morning and then we'll get on with it. Now, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. (laughs) Such a good faster. Sorry, that's not in there. And give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is God's word for us this morning. So there's different things going on in this parable and different angles we can take. But it is clear that one of the things that this parable teaches us, it teaches us about the importance of prayer. Now, someone once said, everything you learn, need to really know about life you learn in kindergarten And it seems all of the other grades in college is the time when you forget things. Now, I can't can't believe how many things. It's really horrifying to think you can spend uh, so much money and so much time at a place like seminary and forget almost all of it. And yet there are a few lessons that you keep that are kind of burned in your mind. And one of these lessons for me as as a person training to be a pastor was a professor who said, Remember this. If you only remember one thing, remember this. Remember this, remember this. He said, whenever you come to a text, the first question you must ask is, why is it here? Now, it's a good question to ask about this text, right? This, this parable is not a very famous parable. Maybe you've never heard it before. You usually kind of just read over it, but it's here. It is here in this book, and it's here in a critical time in Jesus' life as he's going up to Jerusalem for the last time. So this is a significant passage. God wants this in the Bible, is revelation to all mankind. So the question is why? Well, the, the answer is, is because he thinks that prayer is a big deal. Now, again, there's other things going on in this text. This is definitely a judgment against um, religious zeal and self-righteousness. But this parable is about prayer. One man prays, God hears him. The other man prays and he doesn't. So this is is a parable that teaches us the importance of prayer. It also fits into a book that teaches a lot about prayer. So in the gospel of Luke, we're always, Luke is very clear about how, how passionate Jesus is about prayer and how important it is. 
Jesus in Luke is, is, is always seeming to be praying about something. In Luke 3, we read that Jesus prays at his baptism. In Luke 5, we are told by Luke that we see Jesus as a person who often goes to solitary places to pray. Uh, in Luke 5, we learn that Jesus prays before choosing the disciples. Very important decision. Who is he going to pass this kingdom ministry on to the world? Um, we find Jesus praying personally for people. In Luke 22, he tells Peter, Peter, I've been praying for you. He even prays uh, when his persecutors are nailing him to the cross and he's on the cross. Jesus' life is, is, is pervaded, I think the word is, by prayer. Jesus is always praying. So then this parable reinforces Jesus' heart when it comes to prayer. You know, another example we see in the book of Luke is the disciples are, they, obviously they're in pro, uh, close proximity with John the Baptist disciples, and they come to Jesus in Luke 11 and say, hey, we want to pray like John's disciples. Can you teach us? And of course, Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. After the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives that famous, you know, ask, seek, knock instruction. In, in this chapter, in chapter 18, it's preceded by, remember, the, the widow coming to the judge and the lesson of persistent prayer. This parable reminds us of one of the greatest lessons, not only of Luke, but in the Bible. God wants us to pray. He wants us to have prayer pervade our lives, be central to our existence. The question is why? I mean, why is prayer so important? Well, because prayer connects us to God, doesn't it? Prayer is the way we commune with God. We connect with God. Prayer is the way we get on God's page. Prayer is the means through which we can give our burdens and worries. Prayer is the way that we connect with God and, and see His importance in our lives growing. It's the way we yield to God. It's the way we receive His blessings and power and perspective and wisdom. Now, the thing about the Gospels... So the, the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. And the Gospels are the written accounts of Jesus' ministry. There are three historical Gospels, and there's one that's a lot more theological, but it's also rooted in history. Now, these aren't just historical accounts. The Gospels are discipleship manuals. So when we see a book like Luke and all the other Gospels as well, where Jesus is constantly in prayer, or it seems like he's in prayer a lot, this discipleship manual is saying, if we want to be like Christ, if we want to minister like Christ, if we want to have what Christ has, if we want to endure like Christ endures, we pray. The other reason why it's so important, because of Jesus, because God loves it when we pray. You know, there's an image over the last few weeks you may uh, have seen the, I think it's called the, the Mars Lunar Lander, a whole bunch of scientists, they, you know, they, they, uh, they built this rocket and they put this kind of Mar uh, Mars dune buggy together, and they sent this thing out last summer to Mars, and of course it was going pretty fast, I don't know how fast, but there was video footage of all of these really, really smart people who spent all this time putting it together, and of course they're their nerves are kind of they're biting their fingernails because they want this 
lunar rover to land on Mars and make contact, right, with Earth. And so you see this picture of, of this big giant dune buggy, and of course when it gets there, all it is is they might as well just put it in the desert in, you know, Nevada or whatever, but they, this thing this sets, sets down on Mars, and what do they do? They, they cheer, they roar, wow, we got it. We have contact with Mars. Could it be that that's what God and his angels do when we make contact for the first time? When we reach out in prayer? When we connect with God? You know that that's, that's how excited God is about us? He loves it when we come to him in prayer. He loves it when we connect. He loves it when we we look to him for guidance and leadership and lordship and love and forgiveness. So that's the first thing that this parable teaches us, is that prayer is important. The second thing that this parable teaches us is it teaches us who it is um, that is allowed to pray. Who can pray, right? Who, who is the person that is who can come to God? I heard a quip a while ago that I try to remember with my own ministry is that Jesus, Jesus kind of had a two-prong approach to ministry. He disturbed the comfortable, and at the same time, he brought comfort to the disturbed. And this is what's happening in this passage. In fact, it says at the beginning, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable, right? Well, the, the people that Jesus disturbed the most were the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were, they had the market cornered on religiosity and spirituality at the time. In a world of total chaos, violence, corruption, and greed, the Pharisees devoted themselves to the Hebrew Scriptures. And not only that, to all the different commentary on the Hebrew Scriptures. They versed themselves well. They they, uh, swam in the Scriptures. They immersed themselves in this stuff. Now, you might be aware that one thing that preachers do, and often in contemporary Christianity, the Pharisees are often the pinata of contemporary Christianity, right? We, we beat on them regularly. Don't be like a Pharisee, right? Don't pray like a Pharisee. Don't act like a Pharisee. Don't be judgmental like a Pharisee. The fact is, is there was very, there was a lot to admire when it came to the Pharisees. They did a lot of things that, that we could emulate, They had a high view of God, they had a high view of scriptures, and they really did have a desire to lead the Jewish people to God. That was a a, a true desire. But like all people, they got easily mixed up. Their quest for righteousness, their quest for God, became alienating. Over time, it became a badge to wear. They would maybe got confused to encourage people, hey, you might want to be more like God, to you might want to be more like us. As one scholar noted, their prayers, the Pharisees' prayers, were a lot more about showing off their own goodness and achievements and how far they've come with God than they were about connecting with God, than they were about loving God. And you see this here. You see this in this story, right? I think William Barclay, a commentary, a guy who writes some commentaries, a scholar, he said, this, guy, this prayer is almost more a prayer to himself than it is to God, right? And so this man, this Pharisee, he misses the mark. We find out at the end of the story that God doesn't even hear him. It's not even a prayer. 
It's, it's utterance. It's, it's boasting. It's bragging. Well, enter the tax collector. A more despised person in Jewish society you could not find. Now, some of you grew up in um, a Dutch home, or you have Dutch roots, Dutch heritage. And most of you who may be older, you, most people in, who are Dutch in Canada came after World War II. Now, if some of you have ever heard stories from maybe your grandparents or uncles or even your parents, and I encourage you to do this, it's fascinating history. What you learn is that in Dutch society in the time of World War II, there was no more despised a person than a Nazi sympathizer, right? A Nazi informant, and there were in almost every community. They were the worst of society. And, often, and after World War II, they were, man, it, you wouldn't want to have been one. How could a person betray their own people like that? Well, that's who the tax collectors were. They were traitors. They were backstabbers. They were liaisons between the Roman persecutors. They took the Jewish money, they gave it to the Roman people, and they skimmed money off the top, and everybody knew it. And yet here, this scum of the scum, and here is the prayer that Jesus holds, upholds as the example. Well, if the tax collector can reach out to God, anybody can reach out to God. That's the point here. No matter what you've done, no matter what point you are at in your life, no, no matter how messed up you've been, no matter how much you've tried to hide your secret stuff, it doesn't matter who you are. Prayer is for you. Prayer is a gift that God has given for everybody. But it's amazing how quickly we can disqualify ourselves from God's grace, isn't it? If it isn't our past, it's our sins. If it isn't our sins, it's our inexperience. I, I don't know what to say. If it isn't our experience, it's, it's our timidity. I, I don't want to pray for myself. That seems kind of selfish. If it isn't our timidity, it's, it's our age, and the list goes on and on and on. The truth is we're all so easily spooked when it comes to prayer. But Jesus could not be more clear in these Gospels. I mean, look who Jesus reaches out to, right? In fact, he, he becomes notorious for the people that he connects with. Oh, Jesus, he's a drunk. He's a party animal. That's what, that's what they accused him of, right? There, there wasn't anybody that Jesus wouldn't connect with. Politicians and prostitutes, the lame and the lepers, the, the Sadducees, who were the elite of the elite. They couldn't give a rip about anybody, and yet they ran the, te ran the temple, which is kind of scary. Demoniacs. People were filled with demons. People who, who uh, woman at the well, a, a divorcee. People who were married. Gluttons. Single people, men, women, children. It didn't matter who you were. Jesus, who would come to you? He, he, would, he would speak, he would initiate this conversation. Of course, this isn't just the message of the gospel. 
You know, one thing that I have to remind myself all the time when I read the Bible, and this is probably what is the most confusing thing for people who come to faith. They, they think that the Bible is about people who have their stuff together. The Bible isn't a book about good people. It's about a good God. And he's always initiating contact with the people most unlikely uh, to initiate contact with. It didn't make sense. Abraham the liar, right? Jacob the liar. Moses is a murderer. David's a philanderer. Rahab's a prostitute. All of the prophets had something weird going on. You know, you look at Jesus with his disciples, right? The tax collector, if you want to see a depiction of a tax collector, there's a, a series called The Chosen out there. I implore you to watch this series. Look it up on YouTube. There's so many different things. You get an idea of what these tax collectors were like. He talked to zealots, these revolutionaries, uh, soldiers. Who is prayer for? It's for you. It's for me. Wherever we're at, however we're stuck, the gift of prayer is for everyone. Everyone is encouraged to make contact. Isn't that awesome? This parable also teaches us the what of prayer. So prayer, we have found out, is important, of course. It is... Um, for everyone, God invites everyone to the table when it comes to prayer. The question is, how do we go about it? Now, again, I'll say it again. There is a wrong way to go about prayer. That's what, that's what this parable teaches. There's this Pharisee guy. He goes about it the wrong way. God doesn't hear him. His prayer is not justified. He is not justified before God. God doesn't hear him. Now, I want to be a person who's heard, don't you? Right? I want, I want God to hear my prayers. I want to connect. I want to land a few prayers up there. So how do we do that? How do we be people who prayer profic how, pray proficiently? Well, the tax collector of all people, he teaches us how to pray. And first of all here, there is reverence. This is the first thing we learn from the tax collector. Now, the Pharisee has no reverence at all, right? He thinks the way he talks, uh, the thous and the these and pointing out other people's sins is, is reverence. He's being, you know, uh, religious. But he puts himself on the level with God, right? He's like, I oh, thank you, God, that I'm not associated with the wrongdoers, but we could be over here together, Right? He has no idea what reverence is. He blabbers and jabbers on like God is a fellow desperate housewife of Jerusalem or, or a poker buddy. Ha <laughs> ha, God, look at those people. But the tax collector oozes reverence. Five sullen words. God, have mercy on me. A sinner. That's it. He doesn't even look to heaven. That's what it says here. He would not even look up to heaven. He's serious. He believes God is God. He's not. It's very trickery, tricky to be reverent in our time today because we have, as human beings, we've exalted ourselves to be masters of everything, have the right opinion about everything, 
always have the right perspective on everything. The question is, how do we grow in reverence? Well, I think one, one way this man does it, this tax collector, he, he, he's sensitive to what God's doing in his life. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. And what this tax collector does, he, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, kind of go insular. He doesn't go into himself and, and pull out a pity party. Right? He, he just, he allows his brokenness to lead him to God. He, he, he takes his brokenness seriously. He, he looks at it and he says, this is me, man. I, I'm a mess. That's why you have five word, a five word prayer and the declaration of I'm a sinner. See, there's nothing that reminds us of our humanness than when we fall on our face. We trip up. When we go and do that stupid thing over and over again, this Pharisee throws himself at God. He, he has an idea of what's going on, and he, he doesn't go the pity party route. He doesn't try to hide it, but he throws himself at God. He's, he's reverential. I'm not God. You're God. I'm not associated with you. I got no righteousness. You do. Another way, very quickly, is that we can go in reverence is just go outside, right? Because creation is constantly declaring the glory of God. And so creation beckons us, right? How can you not go in? We're in such a beautiful place, too. How can you not go outside and go, ah? So that helps. That's just an aside. (laughs) Secondly, there's an honesty here. The The tax collector He's honest about his situation. He's honest about who he is. And that is what humility is, right? Humility is just having a sober understanding of who you are. And so that's what it says here at the end. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so humility is just being honest about ourselves, right? You know, C.S. Lewis said once, a very famous quote, is prayer is about coming to God as we are, not as we ought to be, Right? The Pharisee is not honest at all about his situation. He is not honest about his heart. It's, it's, it's a show. And this is what so, is so admirable about this tax collector. I'm a sinner. Doesn't justify his mistakes. Doesn't play them down. Uh, doesn't say, oh, I knew better. I knew it was wrong and I kept doing it. I didn't do it just... Once, twice, three times, you know, it's not my fault. I mean, it was, it was kind of my upbringing. And, you know, it's, it's that. No, he just said, I'm a sinner. Shouldn't have done it. It's a bad life. I'm paying for it. I'm a sinner. He beat his breast, right? That's, that's, that's always a symbol in the Bible of repentance. He's honest. And see, this is the baseline expectation that God has for us, right? It's just, it's honesty. Coming to God as we are. Right? It's, it's one of the, those beautiful things. I don't have to be someone else. I can just come as I am. No pretense. I love that about kids, actually. Right? They kind of, they, they're pretty good. They can lie a lot. But, you know, a couple years ago, um, I, it was maybe a year ago, my second youngest boy, I remember he had a tough, a tough couple weeks. And he was mean to his sister and kind of kept doing that. And that can be a thing sometimes. 
Well, it was bedtime, right? And we always kind of say our prayers. And, and yet after another, you know, lecture, hey, don't do this to your sister. You kind of, don't, we don't want you to be mean. It's not nice. Got, you know, if you grow up being mean, you're, you'll be lonely and blah, blah, blah. All this, you know, gave him the lecture. Wow, it was prayer time. So he says, God, thank you for this good day. And sorry I have been mean. I should be better by next week. <laughs> it's got a long way to go. But I love it. It's honest. How could you not as God say, I'll help you, kiddo. But honesty. Just be honest. Yeah, it's the 47th time I've done this stupid thing, God. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Honestly expressing ourselves in prayer opens us up to God. And if you want to see the parameters of this, read the Psalms. The Psalm is... Our, um, is our tutor tutorial when it comes to prayer. There's nothing these guys don't pray about. They pray about everything. I hate my enemies. I wish I could smash them in the face. I love your creation. It's beautiful. God, what are you doing? I don't understand what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing, right? It's just this honesty. The Psalms teach us how to pray. They teach us how to pray authentically and honestly. Well, last thing is, is confidence. This guy has confidence of God, in God. He doesn't, his, he doesn't look like he has confidence, but there's a confidence here. He just says, Lord, have mercy. You know, when you go to a bank to borrow money, if you don't think the bank has money, you won't go there to get money. And if you go to a doctor, you go to a doctor because you're confident that your doctor knows something about the medical world, Right? Well, this tax collector, he doesn't go to God for mercy if he doesn't think God has mercy. He believes it. He has confidence. And you know, I wonder, right? I wonder about this tax collector. Yeah, and it's a parable, but I wonder when he learned about mercy. I wonder if it was when he was younger. I wonder if he strayed away for a long time. I guess this is a roundabout way of encouraging all of us to teach our kids about the goodness of God. Drill it into them graciously, but fervently, that God is good. He'll always have grace. He'll always have mercy. No matter how far you stray, no matter how far as a prodigal you might go into that other land and, and eat with the pigs, he'll always have mercy. And, and this tax collector... He believes it. He's confident about it. He doesn't need to pray 55 different lines of a prayer. He's like, Lord, have mercy. You've got it. You've got mercy. How do we grow in confidence? A couple weeks ago, um, our kids, it was one of my kids' birthday, and he got to pick a movie, and so we went through the things, and uh, it was Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this for a while. And, you know, when you watch this movie, it's just this great reminder, of course, at the beginning, they hear of Aslan. Oh, who's Aslan? Oh, he's a lion. Well, they can't really conceive of who Aslan is until they see Aslan. And all of a sudden, it's like Aslan, Aslan can do anything. Aslan can even die. Aslan can even rise again. Aslan won the battle. And that's what we believe about God, right? 
Jesus Christ is the one who conquers death. He can conquer everything. And how we grow in Christ is by spending time with Christ, by trusting Christ, by growing in Christ. You know, ultimately, what happens in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is that he gives, he gives these kids a sword, and then they are to fight. But they're fight knowing that Aslan is with them. Isn't that awesome? So we grow confidently in that. Now, I don't know who is all here uh, watching this, being a part of this, but it's possible that you are at the end of your rope. You've disqualified yourself. You can't even muster up the courage that this tax collector had who was really struggling in his life. And things aren't looking good for you. Can I just tell you that Christ has invited you to this? Even right now, if, if you feel like something tugging at your heart, that's probably, that's probably God speaking to you and saying, connect with me, connect with me, be honest. And I'll help you grow in the confidence of me and I will radically change your life. So as we close today, may we all be encouraged to know that, again, prayer is important. It's a good reminder. Maybe we reminded that Prayer is for everybody, young, old, you know, run the gamut in between there. But may we also remember that there is a way that we can connect to God that can grow us to experience him more and more in the resurrection life of our Savior. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.